This is Beyond Ag, a podcast dedicated to intellectual conversations with leaders and influencers of agriculture. I'm your host, Isaiah Pruitt. Today's episode is sponsored by LaRue Carey Insurance. Today we have with us uh, Director of Kentucky Rural Development, Hilda Legg. This morning, how are you, Ms. Legg? I'm terrific this morning. Thank you, Isaiah. So the first question I have, and I usually ask this to everyone who is uh, involved in agriculture, what does your job, um, in your case, as Rural Development Director entail? Well, as the state director for USDA Rural Development, my job is to ensure that the funds uh, that are assigned to Kentucky for rural economic development in the in the areas of housing, uh, business, and community facilities are um, appropriately invested into rural communities, uh, and in, and done so according to the law and the regulation. A part of my job is also to make sure that our rural residents and businesses and communities are aware of these funds and therefore they can apply and take advantage of it. Uh, In the past uh, and a half years, we've put over $3 billion in rural communities in Kentucky. So that's a lot of loans and grants to process. Um, And we also have to ensure that the taxpayer dollar, which is what is appropriated back for rural development, is, is spent in the best way possible sometimes in some programs we'll have competing applications, more applications than we have funds to invest. So making those choices and those decisions of where um, the taxpayer in Kentucky gets the best return on their dollar uh, by investing in rural communities. Obviously, we're all about making rural communities stronger because whether it's production agriculture, our farmers, big, you know, row crops or specialty farms, um, we all believe that those those businesses need to thrive, but they can only thrive when the environment around them, where the schools where their children go, where the communities have libraries and health care that we invest in, uh, where small businesses can help feed into production agriculture, uh, that we can help support them with grants and low interest loans. Uh, and then, of course, one of our big, biggest uh, uh, Lots of money, if you will, that comes from our water and wastewater program, ensuring that we have water, fresh, potable, clean, safe water to our rural outlying communities. So it's all about helping rural communities be stronger, economically, healthier, and a better place to call home. And that then enforces our production agriculture uh, folks as well. So it seems like you have a pretty big job, and of course, I bet that comes with challenges. So what is the biggest challenge you have faced uh, in your time as director? The biggest challenge that I face as director, and it's true and when you're trying to manage any government-oriented um, or government uh, uh, organization, um, government by its very nature is slow. Government has lots of paperwork, because again, we are spending your tax dollars. There's a lot of accountability, a lot of regulations we have to use, a lot of um, you know reviews and oversight. And if we're making you a loan, which we make multi-million dollar loans, uh, do you really have the capacity to pay that back, whether it's a home loan or whether it's a business loan? Um, so there is a lot of effort and work that goes into it, and it takes so much time. It becomes because then we review it, then we send things oftentimes to the national office in DC, 
for them to go over review or, you know, so it, it, it's never, it's never a speedy process. Um, and especially in the world of making uh, business loans or if you're waiting for one of our single family housing loans and we have to wait for an appropriation to come through, you know, it becomes a waiting game. And that is most frustrating because we believe strongly USDA uh, in uh, customer service and you are our customers as the general public. Um, and I know that people get frustrated with this because uh, it's so slow and we try every way that we can to speed it up, but it's just inherently slow. And a good example of what we're doing right now is because Congress has not passed a budget for this year, then we are operating on what we call a continuing resolution. So a continuing resolution will then only be a portion of money. So the budget people at OMB and then at USDA have to look at that amount of money and say, okay, we don't know really what Congress is going to give us for the year. So we're going to be pretty, you know, um, pretty strident in what we give to the states in this first quarter of the year to actually invest in the community. So sometimes we get, you know, we get hung out there. People want to get into a home, but they can't because we can't get enough money in to get down to, you know, their number five on the list or whatever. Um, it's very hard for businesses to plan ahead when there's limited money coming in. So it's about the the lack of being able to be really responsive as soon as I would like to be responsive to our uh, customers. That probably causes me the, you know, a great um, angst a lot of times because I'd like to be more, uh, more quickly to um, meet the needs of our people. So I'm, I'm counting on that Congress not passing a budget is definitely just one of the many effects of the pandemic. Can you talk a little bit about how maybe Congress um, has told you all and how soon you may be expecting um, a budget and some more sure money coming in time? Well, I know that Leader McConnell um, is hoping to work toward a budget uh, when we get back from the Thanksgiving recess. Um, whether that happens in December, uh, if it doesn't happen then, by the time they adjourn for Christmas, then my guess, and this is just my guess, it would be after the inauguration of the next president. Um, and that, that has happened. We've had budgets get a full budget as late as, you know, February uh, that then, but then you realize that our fiscal year ends September 30th. So then all of a sudden, all the programs with their full allotment of money have to manage to invest all of that money because you you want you know there's a need so you've got to get the paperwork done and you you know have got to have all the reviewing done uh, then between February and the end of September so there again that's another crunch of the process but um, relative to COVID you know you uh, rural development was in a pretty good situation because um, the, there's um, the, the offices that I go across the state, we had pretty good connectivity, uh, which for Kentucky is a big challenge to have broadband. But in our locations, um, a few of our folks were not able to telework, but the majority of them were. And so we were able to go into a percent, 100% telework um, with only two or three people having to come into an office, which means they would be a single person and therefore in a safe situation if they came in. So we were able to continue our work. And in fact, 
um, even though it was much more challenging for me to try to manage all of that, you know, people are at home, um, there, we were communicating through Jabber and answering the phones, making sure the phones were answered on our regular eight to four thirty time frame. Um, and then also the idea that, you know, some people they're distracted, they have their children, you know, all those kinds of things. So managing it to me was a big challenge, but at the end of the day, we had worked so hard in outreach in the beginning of last year, which would have been October to you know January, really pushing the, the envelope in terms of reaching out to our people and asking, do you have a project that we could be a partner with you in? And as a result of that, in every program area, we exceeded um, the, we broke levels of appropriation and investment uh, on every level, our community programs, our housing program, and our business program. And in fact, once Congress uh, passed the CARES Act, we had additional funds that we had to get out. Uh, and so that just uh, meant more work to have to get that money invested. And we've been able to do that in our rural business program, um, was able to invest CARES Act into agribusiness and small business in rural Kentucky, and we led the nation in that investment in that shorter period of time. We didn't get that. Uh, we didn't get that allocation uh, from DC until I'm thinking probably first of July, and then of course that was done by the end of September. So, and just a terrific staff that really works very hard and really cares about our rural communities and the people that live there. So I'm kind of going to switch up the questions a little bit, and I'm going to talk about, you just talked about really how COVID-19 has affected um, rural development and your job, but can you be more um, specific with the day-to-day -day operations and projects um, that rural development has that may have been impacted and some other things, and maybe the transition of before pandemic to during and to looking towards the after? Well, certainly looking toward the after with a great deal of anticipation. And one of the things we had made a um, a, a grant to uh, to Somerset Community College, and um, it was a grant that allowed them to use high technology in developing um, uh, product lines, if you will. And so, once we went into the COVID um, uh, pandemic era. That, um, that organization was able to take, instead of what they were designing, computer designing and um, 3D printing and all of that, they were able to take uh, what they had already learned uh, from our uh, grant and they started making the uh, face shields. You know, so we, we actually had people out there. Um, obviously our water companies that we fund um, we're not allowed to charge people who were not uh, able to pay their bill or a late fee. Um, in our housing program, where we invest uh, for people to buy their homes, uh, if they got behind or in the arrears during this COVID, uh, we are not allowed to foreclose on those properties. Uh, so they, they remain in their homes uh, during the COVID time. So Yes, it did impact everything that we did, not just in our own team and how we how we lived and how we operated, uh, but also even the projects that we invest in and the money, our, our customers again, uh, whether it's community water or whether it was an individual homeowner or whether it was, uh, you know, one of our uh, business grants of making products, we're all able to be a part of that. Um, I will say one of the things that is the most striking about COVID 
uh, in my previous time at USDA in Washington, I ran the, in rural development, the rural utilities uh, services. And that rural utility service is what invests in your infrastructure, water and wastewater, electricity, your rural electric from the old REA days, and then all also telecommunications started out as your rural telephone, and then it goes into uh, broadband. And during that job, and then even the previous job at the Center for Rural Development, we had built a wide area network in Eastern Kentucky, and we were very uh, big on telemedicine and distance learning. And so nationally, I managed our distance learning and telemedicine grant program that was under RUS. And I laugh and I tell people, I have been advocating for telemedicine and distance learning since the 90s. And uh, all of that time, and of course, funding projects across the country, but COVID-19 did more to really bring that to the forefront of people's minds. The senior citizens who were leery of seeing their physician before through a computer screen really were forced to do so under COVID uh, times. Um, schools obviously had always, um, they'd been interested and we had funded many projects where colleges would teach advanced classes in high schools or high schools would connect up with a middle school. But all of a sudden, we really understood the need for our students to have true broadband. And that is was really driven home with COVID-19. Um, we received $600 million last year that we invested in across the nation in our ReConnect program, either in uh, a loan, a low-interest loan, uh, or a loan-grant combo, 50-50, or 100% grant. We had um, five successful projects in Kentucky that we announced just this past year of building out through high-speed broadband in rural communities that would never be able to afford to build that or the current provider could not afford to build it if it wasn't for the government's uh, investment of grant dollars. Uh, so we're very proud of what we were able to do in that line. And we continue to try to build out more broadband because students can't learn at home if, if they do not have that connectivity. So it's critically important. COVID really highlighted that. And I think you're gonna see more and more um, state governments and uh, other entities begin to understand why some of us have been preaching uh, a full deployment of broadband. In my, in my mind, uh, ubiquitous broadband, true broadband, true high-speed broadband across all of Kentucky would be my, my ultimate goal. Um, in that line, we were also through the uh, Congress gave us additional money and additional 100 million in the CARES Act for broadband and additional 20 million for our distance learning and telemedicine. So we had a second round of DLT applications um, and in um, we had 116 applications nationwide for a pot of DLT money. And you would think, okay, uh, there were 116, so there's 50 states. So that's a little over, you know, to a state. Well, Kentucky brought home seven of those successful applications. So we really, um, you know, we really knocked the, the ball out of the ballpark on that one in order to get uh, seven of those nationally. Uh, we're hoping to do well in the second round uh, also. So yes, COVID has really not only changed the way we run our agency, uh, but it also has uh, helped us, I think, to bring greater awareness to the funding opportunities that USDA Rural Development brings to the Commonwealth of Kentucky. 
So kind of transitioning back into your job itself, what has been some of the biggest projects that have taken place under your leadership here at the USDA Rural Development? Uh, well, the ones that come to my mind, obviously, are the ReConnect projects. Uh, we're really trying to build uh, true broadband into our rural areas, and it goes all the way. We have a project in the very um, the farthest, most uh, western end of the state on the uh, in some of the river counties. Um, and then it goes all the way to the one, most recent one we announced was People's Rural Telephone is investing and building out all of Lee County. Uh, they went in three times for funding in three different programs to get Lee County built um, or get the funding for that. But uh, that is what I'm saying. It takes a lot of effort and a lot of you know persistence uh, because it's very expensive to build out. That project is also going to go into a small community in Perry County called Buckhorn, uh, where no provider would ever go if it wasn't for that grant money, and also into Livingston, a small community in Rockcastle County. So uh, those are really, really exciting projects. Another one that we saw this year, again, it's in the telecom field, but Pikeville Medical um, uh, Center in Pikeville, Kentucky, went in for one of the distance learning and telemedicine grants. Typically, a uh, medical facility like Pipewell Medical would link to, you know, the Cleveland Clinic or another expert um, uh, hospital facility or research facility in order to bring that kind of expertise into their community. And that's a lot of how the telemedicine has worked. Or they would go out to a and make connectivity uh, for a rural health clinic. But Pipewell Medical did something more different this time. More, uh, they actually put their, their grant money into connecting the schools. And we know that education has suffered in terms of being able to have full-time school nurses. Um, so this allows uh, Pipewell Medical Center with all the latest equipment at the other end where you can take the temperature and send it back. You can take the heart rate or you can look at a, you know, a skin uh, rash and send all that back right to the hospital itself. So the hospital link with the schools. That was a beautiful project to see come together. Um, so really happy about that one. Uh, we have made um, a number of very high loan investments uh, into, we actually invested um, over 10 million recently into a coal operation. Again, Eastern Kentucky has been so um, negatively impacted uh, in the coal business. So we were helping um, this company go through a different uh, process, if you will and supporting them in that. We uh, also were one of um, a few company uh, states nationally that participated in what we call the HBIP program, which is providing grant dollars for a gasoline distributorship, in this case it was Thornton's, um, and they were then to provide a higher grade ethanol, which of course drives the use of corn growers. Uh, so this uh, higher ethanol product um, will be made available at some of Kentucky's pumps via this grant through the, uh, the gas provider who would then uh, be able to use more of the ethanol and more grain production. Um, those just come to mind as just recent ones, but obviously if you are a, um, a business and you, you are able to get one of our um, energy, one of our energy conservation uh, projects in order to conserve energy, went to um, a small um, hemp 
uh, company in West Kentucky, which are actually, they're making wood flooring and wood products from the hemp stalks that they had to build a certain type of dryer um, that would conserve energy and make it more cost effective. So they were able to re get one of our REAP program uh, grants. So it just, it goes on and on. Honestly, Isaiah, I could just start rattling and, and they're all exciting um, because if you're sitting on the end of that and you get grant money particularly, or you know that you can save uh, millions of dollars by getting low interest loans and amortizing it over 40 years, and that saves your company money for a longer period of time, um, then that's just putting more money into the businesses to create more jobs. So um, I kind of partial, I sort of think everything we do is exciting at USDA Rural Development. I know, I think one of the things I didn't mention, you had mentioned the future. Um, I, I guess my idea for the future would just, be, uh, as any government agency, we were um, uh, reduced in the number of staff. Um, and uh, that always makes it more burdensome on the staff that exists, more work to do um, and fewer people to do the work. So I think we have to become much more efficient in how we operate and how we manage our processes. Um, again, in order to get the money in, reinvested back into Kentucky. And that's my goal because some of these pots of money are at the national level, stay there, and we compete for our share, like the HBF uh, program I mentioned on the ethanol. Uh, so we have to be pretty agile, um, and we have to be able to respond quickly to help our applicants compete um, and get the best application put together. And it takes a lot of time and effort in doing so. So I think we have to become more um, uh, proactive in reaching out to people. We have to become more technologically advanced, our software in every one of our programs, the software programs that we use from the federal level are terribly antiquated. If we could go into the private sector and just purchase a new software program to manage some of the processes, um, we could do it much quicker, uh, much more efficiently. But because we are a part of USDA in the larger sense, we have to um, use what they tell us to so that everybody across all 50 states and the territories are operating on the same platforms. Um, that is something that needs to be accelerated um, and sped up uh, tremendously uh, in the future in order for staff to be more productive um, and to have better efficiency with their time and effort. But I think the need is going to be there. I think with what's happened in COVID, uh, with the pandemic, I think you're going to see urban dwellers move out into the countryside. You're gonna see New Yorkers leave the state. We're already seeing that. I've had uh, meetings with the judges in the county surrounding Jefferson County because of all of the disturbances there, the lack of uh, feeling safe, I think, and that, that's driving people out more into those surrounding counties. So I think uh, rural Kentucky is gonna continue to grow. I think rural Kentucky is gonna continue to need the investment from USDA Rural Development to help it. Well, those are for some pretty amazing projects um, that you talked about. And that was actually the next question I was gonna ask about the future of rural development, but you answered it. So we killed that bird. Um, so what is the biggest issue to you facing agriculture right now outside of um, the boundaries of your job, what, your personal feeling, what is the biggest issue that is facing agriculture right now? Well, that's a, that's a pretty loaded question. Um, you know, there was a time when 
we saw our young people leaving production agriculture. We saw the family farms, um, you know, going away and going to the big mega farms and the uh, mega yards and all of that. And, and I think that's still in the Midwest is still what you see. But I think one of the things that I've been more fascinated by um, and, and especially even here in Kentucky is how we're going to the ag tech uh, world. Um, and I think things like I grew up with uh, parents who raised a huge garden. Well, there's, you know, at least two generations of people behind me that the kids have no idea how to, you know, break ground, plant seed, um, do the things that you need to do in order, number one, to feed your family, and which is what we did, uh, also to turn that into a business uh, where you might be able to then take your tomatoes and make a salsa and sell it, uh, that sort of thing. Um, I think what I see is, is pretty um, uh, encouraging in more of those specialty farms, more, you know, smaller farms coming back. Uh, we've got a great partnership with Kentucky Highlands Investment Corporation where they take just small amounts of our micro lending program and, and, and maybe help someone buy their first, you know, two heifers. And then those two heifers have babies and they can sell them and then they can go back and buy another one. And just beginning to do that. And even in Eastern Kentucky, where we don't have large land holdings, that kind of thing can help people get started into agriculture and be like it was in my family. It was a supplemental. Uh, we didn't totally depend on farming. Both my parents worked at public jobs, but we raised cattle um, and we fed those cattle and we gardened and, and we had hogs. And so um, I think you're, I think we're gonna. I'm very encouraged at um, at seeing that uh, interest these days. And in the ag tech world, what we're able to do there with controlled container lighting. Uh, one of my most exciting projects, and I can't even believe I didn't mention this, Isaiah, was um, as you know, App Harvest has built the uh, 60 acres under roof. I was a uh, blessed to go uh, with the uh, App Harvest folks and members of the universities um, of Berea and Eastern and UK uh, to Amsterdam and to study uh, what they had done. And it's very, very impressive. Um, and what they've been able to do, the App Harvest team in Moorhead, I think offers not only great opportunity for the folks in that area and job opportunities for our students who are coming out of agri-tech um, curriculums in our schools, um, but I think even down into our high schools because F Harvest has a, a container that is built and has LED lighting in it. And within that container, you can grow lettuce and greens and that sort of things. And you can supply your school cafeteria, you can supply the local nursing home, you know, the hospital with fresh green vegetables. Well, when we have been able, we have been able to uh, fund the purchase of those containers to go into some of our public schools. For the schools who are interested in bringing that curriculum into their FFA or their agriculture uh, um, room, classroom, I think that is such a win-win because especially in Eastern Kentucky, where you don't have large land holdings and you think getting an, uh, an interest in agriculture might be more challenging, for our young people, uh, this is an opportunity for them to look at horticulture uh, and ag technology 
And not only do they sort of learn what I learned with dirt and a hoe, which is how to grow my vegetables to feed my family and to eat myself, I think it'll help um, raise the awareness and teach our high schoolers about what fresh greens really are and how important they are, or if you're growing a tomato, whatever you're growing in that container. But it gets them introduced and it gets them to thinking about eating healthier. So healthier eating in Eastern Kentucky is, is of great need. And I think this does that. It also sets them up to experience a potential job opportunity and further education uh, that they might be interested in, which would be the ag tech uh, or the horticulture. Uh, so I think that is just one of the most exciting for the investment that we put in with the grant um, in the match from the local schools. I think it opens up a new world for, uh, for those high schoolers. And I know we have three right now, I think functioning or set up in Eastern Kentucky. Um, and I'm hoping we'll get a couple more applications in the next um, two or three weeks because I'd love to see those, those kids get the second semester um, of this year where they have that opportunity. But Agritech, I think is gonna be uh, a really exciting uh, place for agriculture and people interested in agriculture um, here in Kentucky in the future. Well, thank you for joining us today. Um, you had some really great points and some really amazing projects to talk about, and I'm sure the listeners will be excited to hear those and learn more about them. Um, so thank you. Well, Isaiah, let me just say thank you. And I'm so impressed um, that you as a young person have developed this whole um, podcast arena, and it has been a delight and a pleasure to be a part of it. And anytime you want to go talk about broadband in more detail, you let me know because I'm very committed to that um, to that effort. So thanks for what you're doing to help um, agriculture in the Commonwealth of Kentucky. It's nice to see young people engaged and involved in it. And you have a very uh, happy Thanksgiving. You too. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Beyond Ag. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor FM, and whatever else you may get your podcasts on. Make sure to subscribe and give us a rating. Don't forget to like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Beyond Ag. You can see our website at www.beyondagpodcast.com. If you are interested in advertising with us, visit our website or email me at Isaiah at beyondagpodcast.com. That is I-S-A. I-A-H at beyondagpodcast.com.